Can I comment on that word transition? Yeah. So transition, and I just want to pick apart this word a little bit. Mm-hmm. Transition, to me, I see as a straight line, as going maybe from point A to point B, and maybe point C and point D. And what I'm finding being plant-based is that there is a constant evolution of circles and webs going in lots of different directions in terms of living a plant-based lifestyle. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. So we are delighted to have Lauren Cummings, the Fiddlehead Chef, with us today. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you. It's great to be here. We appreciate you joining us to have a conversation really about um, ingredients and food and how uh, food can change someone's life. So it sounds like food has already changed your life. Absolutely. In a lot of ways. How did you become a culinary professional? Sure. So, gosh, to start at the beginning, I would say my first memory in the kitchen, um, was probably about six or seven years old. I was with my bubby in the kitchen, which is uh, Yiddish for grandmother. Oh, I love that. Uh, we were making scrambled eggs. And I just remember from that point on, anything that was kitchen related, whether it was um, seeing a picture of a kitchen in a magazine or um, you know a pantry being featured in a storybook, it was something that I was drawn to. I uh, had my first restaurant job in 2001. Uh, I was a, a wee, wee bit, you know, a teenager at the mm. time, young teenager. Um, started as a cashier and was just always fascinated with being in the kitchen. And during slow times, I would make my way to the kitchen. Um, when I was graduating from high school, I, uh, you know, thought a lot about culinary school Um and uh, ended up going a different route at the time and uh, earned a four-year degree. I uh, was working in social services and uh, was getting really burnt out from my work. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it was exhausting. And I just was really thinking about what is next for me. What would, and I thought deeply about what would make me happy. And I kept going back to being in the kitchen and thinking about being in the kitchen with ingredients and it being therapeutic and, you know, kind of having my artist easel as the kitchen and Mm. being able to create what I wanted based on how I was feeling. And so um, with all that said, I decided to go to culinary school in 2017. um, And it was the best decision of my life because right now I am working as a personal chef. I have my dream job because when I go to work, my office is the kitchen where I feel happy and at home. That's amazing. Congrats to you. Thank you. Thank you, April. It's a great story. So when you decided that this is the thing you want to do and here's how I'm going to do it, how did you get to personal chef as opposed to, you know, executive chef of a restaurant or in a hotel setting? That's a great question. Um, I've dabbled a little bit in the restaurant industry and, you know, to be a successful executive chef of a restaurant requires a lot of time and energy. Yeah. It requires, I mean, upwards of 80 to 90 to 100 hours a week. And I needed to be real with myself. That was not something that was fun for me. Um, I tried a couple different jobs working with different caterers in Washington, D.C. Um, I had an opportunity to work with a personal chef. And what I realized out of all of that was that Being able to make my own decisions about what I was putting into my own body, putting into the bodies of the people I was cooking for, that was really important to me. And I wanted to have more control over it. I also, to be quite honest, I really didn't like working for other people. I really wanted to be. Yes. (laughs) Speaking 
my language. Yes, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, was tired of being bossed around, not being appreciated, being underpaid and underappreciated. And that was something that was really important to me was, you know, earning a living that um, was a livable wage and was something that really made me feel valuable in what I was doing. So after working for a couple different um, types of companies and people in the culinary industry, I decided that ultimately I wanted to work for myself. Um, and the best way for me to deliver that was to help people by creating uh, menus for them tailored to their dietary restrictions, their um, um, food allergies or any health goals that they have going into their home and cooking and making it very personalized. Mm. Personalized, we love that, the Jealous Vegan, for sure. Um, can I slow you down just a moment? Yes. I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned like your first impressions of cooking in the kitchen was with Bubby, your grandmother, yes. I love that. <laughs> um, I have a grandmother, I had two. Like everybody, but I, I <laughs> maybe the best of my grandparents. Like some people don't know their grandparents, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, and I had the privilege of knowing all four until I was an adult. Um, my last grandmother, surviving grandmother, um, I have fond memories of her in the kitchen, not cooking with her, mostly just eating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting that you you have that sounds like that's what anchored you to the kitchen was this time with your grandmother. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about. What are the favorite kinds of things that you did with her? Like, wow. And it's funny you ask that because um, I actually have very few memories of mm. that grandmother. Mm. Uh, she died when I was still in the single digits of age. Gotcha. Um, she died in, in the mid 90s. So um, some of the memories I have with her. Uh, gosh, one is very fond of going to a pond with her with a fishing pole and going fishing. Um, yes, did, she did has. Did you eat the fish? That no, we did not. Oh, okay. We threw them back. So, uh, they were oh. quite little. They were very small fish. But that is a memory I do have of her. Um, gosh, I, I, I remember her apartment very, very vividly. And so I remember... Um, I remember little candies that she had around her apartment and I remember her laugh and I, I remember the way that she smelled mm -hmm. and I, I remember, smells absolutely smells are a trigger. Yeah. And, and when I, it's funny, when I think of my Bubby, I'd say 97% of those thoughts are surrounded by food. Mm. <laughs> she, um, she, she, she definitely liked to give love through food. Mm. And that's the reason that I was thinking of it in time with what we're talking about is that our notions of food are are very culturally connected and nostalgia. Absolutely. Right. So that's our first impressions of like what we think is like comfort food comes mm -hmm. from what we are served at home by people who we know love us and where we're safe. And so that's one of the things we talk about here, the Jealous Vegan, is like the cultural implications of Mac and cheese, for example, is like a staple. We always had that. For it was sure. like the bomb. So giving up, air quote, giving up mac and cheese what made it hard to go plant-based because I was very connected to this cultural food. And I'm sure. just wondering, um, and that's what made me wonder, like, because you have your introduction into the kitchen was via this person, right? Yes. I was interested to see, you know, how that affected you, how that affects you mm -hmm. and how it affected your relationship with food. Okay. Yeah. Any thoughts? In terms of being in the kitchen with my grandmother, you mean? Mm -hmm. Or just that there's a cultural connection um, that is kind of carried through to how you eat today and informed some of the ways that you look at food based on how you grew up. Um, that's a good question. Um, no? That's, no? That's totally fine. Maybe, it's the same yeah. answer. Maybe not because, <laughs> well, the way that I eat... Now, um, I would say is much more tailored to my adult life mm. and how things have evolved from my childhood and that, you know, the innocence of day-to-day -day activities and maybe not having to worry about our diet so much 
and how the things that we eat affect our bodies and the output and the fuel that we need and how different that is for me as an adult. Mm. So it's interesting that you asked that question because um, on the flip side, I actually see it being very different mm. because of my because of the modern day needs that I have and, and my body and the fuel that it needs to perform my job on a daily basis. So interesting. No, thank you. Thank you. for That's, that's yeah. helpful, right? Yeah, and I, we, we recently did a series uh, where we interviewed parents and trying to understand how their childhood informed how they were ch choosing to feed their families. Mm. And I was really surprised um, that really it's one of two things, right? Either, it, but really most people we talked to said, I wanted to do the opposite of what my parents did. Mm. And so they felt like, even though, I mean, they survived and they're fine, they don't have any like major health concerns, they, you know, all of them basically said, I wanted to make sure that my kids had more vegetables, that they were more conscious of food, that they, you know, really understood and explored different types of foods, um, things that they didn't feel like they did at home. So I think most of us, we may have this cultural connection that like pulls us back to our past, mm -hmm. but I think most of the time we're kind of trying to get away from our experience as kids. It's that does happen and it's funny you say that because the the foods that we ate as kids are much different than the foods being produced today. Mm, mm -hmm. And this comes up quite frequently in the plant-based community is how our plants are being grown. This is a huge factor when my parents um, were kids and my parents are baby boomers. Um, the produce that they were eating was not treated the same way that our produce is treated mm -hmm. now. And therefore our bodies are actually responding differently to the plants that we're eating. So, you know, going plant-based can be very beneficial for a lot of people, but it's also important to know where your plants are coming from. Because if you're Strawberries are coming from a farmer that sprays them with lots of chemicals to keep them large and red and plump. That could actually be retroactive because you could be damaging yourself with potentially harmful chemicals. So changing the way that we're eating now that we're adults is quite important because the food that we're eating is different from the food that our parents were eating. I love that you said that because I was reading an article, I can't remember exactly where, but it was talking about Driscoll. You know how you can get mm. the, Driscoll has like the perfect strawberries. They have the organics and oh, they have the, the, the regular, air quote, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go on a Safeway, you go on a Whole Foods, all the strawberries look exactly alike. Mm -hmm. They're like the perfect red color, perfect air quote. Um, they, you know, and how, how do you get, well, not strawberries are, are delicate, right? So how do you get the perfect strawberry distributed all over the country? Sure. Right, um, and organic you, year yeah. round. By the way, year, right. pretty much year round, right? Um, and, or I feel like in summer you can get more, you get better quality of the organic sure. ones. Yeah, that I don't know that you can find everywhere else. But to your point, like, how is it that the perfect strawberry <laughs> is available all over the country, all year round, even yeah. out of season? It should concern us. Yeah. We were talking actually at lunch today about how food has changed and that our parents didn't have to ask the same questions or be concerned about things. Um, and of course, my conspiracy theorist was it doesn't make sense that it's cheaper to buy a chicken breast than it is to buy a head of cauliflower. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you go to the grocery store, like, you know, at least the beef, dairy and pork industries are all being subsidized by the government. And so. It doesn't stand a reason that it should be less expensive to buy, raise, feed, care for, slaughter, bring to market an animal. Package. Package. Mm -hmm. Versus take something out of the ground, put it in a bag, send it to the market. Sure. Like those things, it should be much less expensive to do that. Um, and yet we don't see that reflected when we go to the grocery store. And I think especially, and you've probably seen it having worked in social services, and underserved communities or more, mostly minority or socioeconomically depressed communities. Um, I think you'll see that even more so where, you know, the, the beef jerky and hot dogs and, you know, all these processed foods that really come from animals anyway um, are readily available. They're cheaper. And that's what people end up gravitating towards because sure. it's 
it fits in their budget and it satisfies them. And if they have a larger family that they need to feed, then, you know, it, it stretches. Absolutely. I think you speak to, Lauren, what you mentioned is the consciousness too, right? Because you, you're mentioning, well, you can eat fruits and veggies, but are they sprayed with pesticides, right? Sure. Okay, we are on a whole nother level if we're talking about not just plants, whole or, plants and organic. organic plants or biodynamic plants and wine and chocolate and cheese, right? Mm -hmm. Like plant-based cheese, of course, right? Like, <laughs> so like we could, we could go, right? And I feel like at least when I was making the transition, um, initially it got very dizzying. Like I, it's so much to kind of watch you check your labels. Yes. What's, and that should be true, right? Oh, what we put on our skin, what we put in our bodies, like check your labels, what's in this stuff. Um, but for someone who's starting a transition, it's like, it could be overwhelming. Right. Can I comment on that word transition? Yeah. So transition, and I just want to pick apart this word a little bit. Mm -hmm. Transition to me, I see as a straight line, as going maybe from point A to point B, and maybe point C and point D. And what I'm finding being plant-based is that there is a constant evolution of circles and webs going in lots of different directions in terms of living a plant-based lifestyle. And something that I struggle with personally is I used to struggle with the commitment to the plant-based lifestyle because I felt like if I'm going to label myself as being plant-based, then I've got to commit to it. And then I would start to feel anxiety about, well, you know, I really want a milk chocolate bar right now. Um, <laughs> Judgment. You know, but but who's watching? Who's watching me? You know, choose my candy bar. So I just, so I just want the plant based fairy. Exactly, someone's watching. Exactly. So I really just wanted to touch on that word mm. transition, and that being plant based really touches a lot of different subject areas. And for me, it's not always black and white. It's usually pretty rainbow color tie-dyed. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot to do with how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's non-linear, right? Exactly. So let's just put it out there for our audience. Are yes. you plant-based, Lawrence? I, uh, Lauren? <clears throat> the term I like to identify with mm -hmm. is flexitarian. Mm. <laughs> Our partner, Jindy, would love that because that's what she says that. she is. <laughs> Last check. Yeah. Flexitarian yeah. is my favorite term because I can eat whatever I want mm. because I'm flexing. There are times of the month where all I want are, I feel like a bunny rabbit. All I want is lettuce and carrots and tomatoes and lots of vegetables. But then there are also times of the month where I really want a cheeseburger or I really want chicken nuggets. And I really am at a place where I'm okay with all of that because it's about finding the balance and what helps you feel good. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree with that. There's a documentary series called Forks Over Knives, and now it's actually a brand. And they recently um, published an article where they talked about What's the difference between being vegan and plant-based right. and whole food plant-based? And they had this excellent chart that, that we'll link to in the show notes um, where they talked about the fact that if you identify as vegan, then there are certain things that are like, they have like a red X and right. that's how you feel about those things. But if you're plant-based, you avoid certain things, but they're allowable. And I think uh, when we talked about it recently in an episode, um, or is it is vegan healthy or is, is it always healthy, is that vegan has this idea of things you don't do, whereas plant-based is about what you will eat. Mm. And I feel like just that change in your thinking um, really makes a difference in your ability to adapt to it's the it. the glass half full right. perspective. Mm. I like the idea of uh, plant-based eating being, you know, not linear and more fluid in that way, um, because I think that that's true, like, even as your life changes, right? Like you said, during the month, at certain times of the month, you might want one thing over the other, but also, you know, if you hit a turbulent time in your life, if you have kids, if you're, you know, living in a, if you move and you're living in a new place, like how that 
kind of informs your diet. Um, and you might go back, <laughs> what looks like backwards, you know, to go forwards and come back. Um, so I do like the idea of what you said about just being conscious and also like being willing to um, recognize that your diet might change and might evolve over time. And, and that's okay, you know, because I also agree with the idea of like that uh, a lot of times when people say that they're vegan, they have these like hard nose for things. And then there is that pressure of like, Ooh, I know I said, I know what I said. Right. Like, but I, I really told, right, like oh, I, I told my mom I was vegan, but now I'm over their house and I really want to eat this goat cheese. Yeah. Like, you know, there shouldn't have to be that pressure of, well, what if I want to change my mind? You know, what if I decide today I want to eat a hard boiled egg or today I want a piece of bacon? That's okay. But it's about balance and what feels good for your body. Um, perfect example is I really like a good BLT. Okay. Mm. But what I'll do with that is actually make a BLT salad. So I'll eat an entire head of romaine, I'll slice up a bunch of tomatoes, I'll crisp up some, you know, a couple of bacon strips, put it all in a salad, and there I am getting my bacon fix, but I've also eaten an entire head of, of romaine and I also have eaten a lot of tomatoes. And so I've now balanced it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like I, the, go ahead. I have some fake bacon I want you to try. Okay. Before you go. Not fake bacon. Fake doesn't sound good. It's Imitation well, it's an alternative. It, yeah. It's made out of coconut. It's it's actually Ooh. coconut is the like best bacon. type of bacon Ooh. I've had. I've wanted to try that. It is I've the seen best. that on it Pinterest. An eggplant bacon. Has anyone Ooh, tried that? Wow. Oh, that sounds Egg exciting. I've seen it done on Pinterest, but I haven't haven't tried it yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have any clients that are plant based? That's a great question, April. I have got I've got clients who wax and wane in the plant-based community, mm. if that makes sense. So um, I've got a client who, um, you know, one week will say, I'm just feeling really bloated or I'm feeling kind of clogged and I really want to make our menu plant focused this week. And so we'll completely customize a plant-based menu. Um, I've got another client who does prefer to be mostly plant-based, um, but you know, he might enjoy shrimp every once in a while. So let's say we're making um, shrimp scampi. We might saute some shrimp and serve it with zucchini noodles instead of pasta. So you're still getting your lemony, garlicky, fresh herb shrimp dish. Um, and instead over a starchy pasta, you've got your zucchini noodles, which is very um, light and won't make you feel heavy after you've eaten your dish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. And you, you go to people's homes. I do. And you prepare, you buy the ingredients also or the ingredients? I sure do. So what I do with my clients is... Um, on a weekly basis, we agree on a menu. Uh, once we agree upon that menu, um, I do all of the grocery shopping for my clients. I bring all of the groceries into their homes. I do all of the cooking and the cleaning. I put everything away, and then I submit um, reheating instructions to my clients so that they can have um, fresh food uh, prepared for them, as opposed to, for example, cooking something to 100% completion reheated is then going to have, is then going to produce an overcooked dish, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's really Highly cool. efficient. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine in this area, there are a lot of people who could utilize a service like that. For sure. And it's funny you say that because people utilize the service for different reasons. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's time. For some people, it's lack of knowledge for cooking. And for some people, it's, um, you know, health reasons. They're they're not sure how to cook menus tailored to their um, health complications or, or what mm -hmm. have you. Preferences and exactly. such. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, how would you prepare, like what comes to mind if you think of a vegan dinner, let's say, a plant-based dinner, let's say you want to, someone said. Yeah, sure. So right off the I bat, um, one of my favorite vegan dishes to make is a cauliflower steak with mm -hmm. chimichurri sauce. Oh, I love chimichurri. So what I do with my cauliflowers is I buy a whole head of cauliflower and I cut them about, um, I'll cut about one to one and a half inch 
um, stakes, really. Uh, you keep most of the stock together because it what's, it's what helps keep the cauliflower steak as a whole. Um, I season it with a little bit of, um, you could use either olive oil, avocado oil, or grapeseed oil are some of my favorite oils to use because the smoking temperature is really high. Uh, so I rub down my steak with a little bit of um, avocado oil. I'll season it with salt, pepper, garlic powder, and onion powder, and then roast it at about 450 degrees for 45 minutes. And what this does is it caramelizes the cauliflower and can really, uh, it really gives you that in my opinion, a, a meatier flavor mm -hmm. um, because it, it will char and caramelize the cauliflower a little bit. Uh, and then for a chimichurri sauce, I use um, a small food processor and I'll blend up um, fresh herbs like parsley, cilantro, scallions, garlic, um, a little bit of a neutral oil like the avocado or grapeseed that I mentioned, uh, and red wine vinegar. Uh, blended that up, just kind of spooned on top of the cauliflower is a really delicious, vegan, filling, hearty, meaty, but planty dish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I discovered roasting vegetables is like my favorite way to enjoy really any vegetable. There's just something about that um, that brings the flavor. And sweetness too. A lot of vegetables have a beautiful sweet side that we don't know about and that really isn't brought out until we roast them. So roasting vegetables can, can give us some pretty great results. One of my most recent pleasant discoveries has been roasting turnips. Hmm. Roasting turnips actually produces a really delicious, sweet result. So I recommend it. They're gonna be in season this summer. Check them out at the farmer's market. Um, slice them in half, toss them with a little bit of neutral oil, a little salt and pepper. Mm -hmm. Roast those bad boys in the oven, <laughs> 425 depending on the size, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes, those will turn nice and sweet. Turnips. I know. never. Yeah, I don't Who know. Who knew? Yeah. Mm. Same with radishes. Radishes are another one that are great oven roasted. Give them a try. Thank um, you. So Grapeseed yeah. oil is something I've been meaning to try too, to um, accomplish that. Uh, whenever I roast, like I like broccoli roasted. Mm -hmm. uh, I just mix it in some olive oil, but I'm, I, I've am i had it out and I've had cauliflower steak out when I've dined out. And mom's actually, the my organic market um, that's here in uh, DC. But um, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out quite as caramelized or quite as crunchy as I want. Okay. So maybe it's the oil, maybe it's the temperature. Um, it could be the way you're reheating it. Really? Well, this is when I have it fresh. Like okay. I buy the oh, fresh I see. You I know, see. broccoli and then I toss it, some salt and pepper. I see. Never quite comes out quite the way I intended it. Okay. With the right kind of car caramelization and such. But Try a higher temp. Yeah, higher temp. temp. Try a higher mm -hmm. oven temp. Mm -hmm. I would say minimum 400 degrees. Okay. For roasting veggies. All right, y'all heard it, audience. <laughs> Start roasting your broccoli. Let's get it going. And your yeah, cauliflower too. That's what I like too, is cauliflower and broccoli mixed. I roast it and I add like um, crushed red pepper flakes. Mm, delicious. Yeah. So you mentioned things that are gonna be in season and that's something that I realized when we went to Europe is that they have a, I guess a better understanding of what's in season. And unlike here in America, it seems like things are always, like, like I was said about strawberries, like they seem like they're always available. Um, but when we were in Spain, especially, it felt like there were there were there was food that clearly was in season, and that's what was available on the market. So, um, sounds like you have a good sense of the things that are in season. I, I try to have a good sense of those things. So, what should we be looking for this spring? Oh, so right now, asparagus. Um, asparagus is definitely ready. Um, broccoli is ready. Cauliflower and lettuces. KKK, KKK, I have to slow you down with asparagus, okay? okay? Because every time I've tried to make asparagus, it's like the bottom, the, the end of the tip comes mm -hmm. out, mm, it doesn't have the crunchiness. The front part, where I'm gonna just call them flowers, you can judge me here, but um, <laughs> whatever the front part is, sure. that's Chris. The back part is kind of mushy. The tip and the base. Okay. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Right? Okay, great. <laughs> so, yeah. What's the right way to make a delicious asparagus? Do you have thoughts on this? 
put you on the spot. Oh gosh, I do. Um, and I'm going to give you two of my favorite ways to make asparagus. Mm -hmm. One of them is simply blanching them. And for those of you who don't know what blanching is, <laughs> blanching like, like, sounds violent. <laughs> I won't, I won't call cream. out the person who raised their hand. <laughs> blanching is when you've got a big pot of boiling water. Uh, you want to salt it a little bit because you always want to season your water. Um, and what blanching is, is when you will cook your vegetables in boiling water for just a few minutes. What happens after you cook it is, is your asparagus is going to turn bright green. It's only going to take about three to four minutes to blanch your asparagus. Once it's turned that bright green, you take it out of the boiling water and you shock it in cold water cold ice water, preferably. What this does is it stops the cooking process. Because what happens is if you take your asparagus out of the hot water and you leave it in your dish, it actually continues to cook. And this, unfortunately, will oftentimes result in a mushy piece of asparagus. Yeah, it's nasty. So, Terrible. Yeah. So blanching... Um, is one of my favorite ways to cook asparagus. After I blanch it, I'll drizzle it with just a little bit of olive oil and sprinkle it with salt and pepper. It's super simple. Okay. Another one of my favorite ways to cook asparagus is by sauteing it. So I'll heat um, a hot a hot pan. It doesn't matter if it's nonstick or uh, or you know stainless steel. Um, put my neutral oil in the pan, and you know that your oil is ready when it starts to shimmer. If your oil starts smoking, your pan is too hot. So what I'll do is I'll throw my asparagus into the hot pan, let it simmer, uh, I'm sorry, not simmer, sizzle uh, for uh, two, three, maybe four minutes, depending on how thick your asparagus is, uh, and then simply seasoned with salt and pepper. You make but, it sound so easy. I know. <laughs> I know, right? But I mean, but I, I, get, I get bad asparagus in the restaurant when I've tried it. It just never comes out. Can you caramelize it? Can you roast sure. it like you do yeah. for broccoli? Absolutely. That's how I make mine. But then how do you keep it from the tips being uh, You don't overcook it. End. So I'd recommend maybe 15 to 20 minutes for asparagus at 400 degrees. No longer than that. Otherwise, no blanching beforehand? No, because that would overcook them. I don't even do mine that long. I usually, so I'll like uh, use salt, pepper, olive oil, mm -hmm. and again, sometimes some hot pepper flakes. And then I'll put it on a sheet pan. And it's usually at about 400 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I'll let it go for like three or four minutes, then I'll take it out and I'll shake it. Sure. And then I'll do another three or four minutes. It really depends on the thickness of your yeah. asparagus. And mine is like the, yeah. Some, the really I mean, I've ones. seen them as thin as a pencil and yeah. I've seen them as thick as my thumb. It really depends mm -hmm. on the size of the asparagus. Mm -hmm. Okay, we gotta ask you, favorite thing to make that's plant-based? So, my favorite thing to make that's plant-based is a dish from northern Thailand. It's called khao soy. It's spelled K-A-O space S-O-I. And it's a mm. coconut curry dish that I fill with lots of veggies. So I'll use a lot of bell peppers. Um, broccoli is another favorite. Red onion. And this is just a rich coconutty broth. Um, that I'll serve with noodles. Mm. It's my favorite thing to make and my favorite thing to eat. Mm. That sounds delicious. Can we get a recipe? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm, I would love that. We talked <laughs> offline before we started recording about the pho, right? We're both, you and I are both pho lovers. I, audience, for if you don't know what that is, it's a Vietnamese soup. And Lauren, you might be able to qualify a little bit more <laughs> distinctly, but that's what it is to me. Rice noodles uh, usually has a beef broth. Yeah, beef broth. Traditionally, it's spiced with um, cinnamon sticks, um, anise, and cloves. Is that what cinnamon is? Cinnamon sticks. Yes. Do they use fish sauce in that at all? Not traditionally okay. for the stock, but fish sauce can be used as a condiment to season it, of course. Gotcha. So if you have this plant-based, Sunny, you, what do you have? Cow, K-soy? Cow soy. Cow soy. Yes. I'm, look, I'm on the hunt for... A good noodle dish. Okay. I've made my own plant-based ramen before. Nothing that I would share, but it was decent. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so if you have a plant-based you know, like uh, noodle dish soup, I would love Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to share that with Be the audience. Be glad to share it. Yeah. yeah. So going back to what's in season, sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm stuck on this. Asparagus. So, asparagus. <laughs> sorry. Broccoli, you cauliflower, lettuces. lettuces. Yeah, and all the fresh herbs. Okay. Yep, tomatoes will be in season, gosh, a little bit later this month. 
So look out for your tomatoes. At the end of May. Exactly. And then going into June and July is peach season. Oh, yes. Peach. Peaches. Yes. Definitely going to be. There's nothing better great. to me than like a really good ripe peach. And so I've also good. recently discovered um, the donut peach. Is that genetically modified? I don't know. I hope not because they are <laughs> delicious. <laughs> They come in both yellow and white, and they are these flat yeah. peaches that look like donuts. Yep. I mean, they have yep. a hole in the middle, they too? They don't have a hole. Okay, so they're just, okay. They're just yeah, smushed, it. not round. It's mm-hmm. funny. Okay, I'm going to be on the lookout for those now. Eastern Market. You can find them at the Eastern Market Farmer's Market. I see them there on donuts. Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. Okay. Are there any good local farmers markets that maybe you go to or you? I'm so glad you asked that, Lisa, because <laughs> okay. there are some underrated <laughs> farmers markets in the city. And I'm always looking for the less bougie farmers markets <laughs> because some of these prices, ladies, get out of hand. Yeah. So my favorite <laughs> farmers markets these days are in Northeast DC. One mm-hmm. is at the intersection of Oklahoma and Benning Road. Oh. The produce selection is not super plentiful, but the prices are great. It tastes great. And the guy who grows it is always there. So I really like Oklahoma and Benning. There's also like some flea markety stuff going on, which can be fun to browse. And then I also really enjoy the farmer's market at 13th and H Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, very small, tops maybe eight to 10 vendors, um, but you know, not as bougie as some of the upper scale yeah. DuPont um, or Eastern Pink Market quarter. farmer's market. Yeah. Exactly. Is it open only only on the weekends? Only or? on the weekends. Actually, the Benning and Oklahoma, uh, I believe, is Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. I am not getting paid to say all of this. <laughs> and the hours for H and 13th, I want to say it's Saturdays, about probably 7 or 8 a.m. to yeah. noon. About that time. All right, y'all. If you're in D.C. or nearby DMV area, you heard it. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So, fiddlehead, where does that come from? Great question. When are fiddleheads in season? Yeah, so a fiddlehead fern is this vegetable that um, kind of, when it grows, it curls in on itself. It almost looks like a little caterpillar kind of rolled in on itself. And, um... I have got this big head of curly hair um, that looks like a bunch of fiddleheads. So um, I just kind of, it just slid off the tongue one day that I was going to be the fiddlehead chef um, because of this big curly hair that I have. Um, So fiddleheads, uh, unfortunately, are only in season for a very short amount of time um, into the end of March and into April. Uh, so they can be very hard to find. Um, they do grow in the wild, but I would advise against going into the wild and picking them um, because not all of them are edible. Some are poisonous. So please be advised if you see some wild fiddlehead ferns, not all of them are edible. I wouldn't even know what to look for. Uh, yeah. I, I would need a trained eye to go in there with me because, it, it, like you said earlier, uh, mushrooms. It's like, yeah, shrooms. Exactly. It would be like going into the forest and saying, oh, these mushrooms look great. Let's cook these. And then having negative consequences. <laughs> or <laughs> like really, death. Or really good ones. Maybe. Or really good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you see that. <laughs> what you ate and, yeah, how you come at it. Exactly. <laughs> I love that, though. They're only available for a limited time. Some of them are dangerous. You can't really tell which ones. Yeah, it's a very exclusive ingredient. Yeah, I love that. Love I that. did uh, Google it earlier because I had no idea what a fiddlehead was. Never sure. even heard of it. I'm pretty sure I've never seen it before either. Um, and so there's some interesting photos that pop up on Google. People picking them in the wild, which now I'm like, poor people. Yeah, <laughs> I hope they made it. Yeah. <laughs> an expert with them or something but they are kind of martian looking they definitely look like you know if you touch them they will uncurl and walk away agreed yeah some of them look kind of hairy too yeah like they will come to come to life yeah like they will pop alive so (laughs) okay so what what do they taste like so it's kind of like a sugar snap pea green bean is kind of what they remind me of 
Hmm. It's kind of like a starchy vegetable. Hmm. You'll have to Google it. Give them a try. The audience is a picture. Yeah, 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 audience, listen. (laughs) We'll we'll put some, we'll put a picture on the, on the the page when we post this episode. Exactly. Because they're pretty neat. I mean, yeah, they look neat. I'm just amazed at how many vegetables we don't really know anything about. Oh, yeah. Like, I've never had a turnip. I don't think, I, I've had radishes, like. You've never had a turnip? I don't think so. No. Really? I don't think I've so. had turnip greens, think... but I've okay. never had, like, a turnip. Yeah. Um, oh. I remember when I had a parsnip puree for the first time. Mm, I was like. Delicious. Where has this been all my life? Yeah. You know? And so I, I feel like people who think, oh, a plant-based diet is probably boring. If they're thinking that they're going to eat, you know, salads every day and, you know. On iceberg lettuce. Right. I think it's about variety, too. Yeah. Um, One of my plant-based clients really enjoys um, a vegetable soup every week. And so the way that I kind of keep that exciting is I'm very visual when I when I picture the things that I'm going to cook. How is this going to look? Because when we see foods that are appetizing, it really, it starts the whole process of salivation and digestion and... Um, it, re- it really is quite fascinating. So, you know, I really like to picture specifically with these vegetable soups is how will this look as a rainbow? What kind of rainbow mm. vegetables, what kind of vegetables can I get that are going to touch the Roy G. Biv of the <laughs> rainbow? Oh, I love it. Um, so recently I was at the grocery store and I came across a purple sweet potato and I'm thinking, this is awesome. Let's buy a purple sweet potato and see how it is. And it was absolutely delicious. Absolutely delicious. It has been a quite a long time since I've had a purple sweet potato and it was great. It was great. I, I love seeing new ingredients and trying new things and, mm-hmm. and exploring what else is out there. Cause, cause it's amazing. And you know what? Sometimes it might not turn out as planned and it might be disappointing, but sometimes there are some winners. Yeah. All right. When I met April was when I first had lacinato kale. Like we grew up eating kale and collard greens cooked, I would say the traditional way, but without meat. Because my mom stopped cooking vegetables with meat when I was about the time that we ate cereal with orange juice and apple juice. Oh, my gosh. Another story. But anyway, um, and I realized then like, like everyone else was like, murdering their vegetables but my mother it was able to season it without using ham hocks or turkey necks or any of those things that are kind of traditional in a southern culture but I never had lacinato kale but April made some for me and she sauteed it Mm -hmm. and I was like because when she said kale I was like well that's gonna take like hours like I don't have time for that sure and so I was shocked at even within a family of vegetables that I feel like I kind of know that there's a lot of variety in different ways to make it. And I've never blanched asparagus. I'm going to be trying that now. So it's like, there's, there's so much more that we can do with vegetables than I think we've even given ourselves a chance to explore. Yeah. We're creatures of habit. We come back to the same things and our cultural context informs what we feel familiar with. What's a comfort food, right? Like there's so much diversity in the plant kingdom we don't explore partly because where we live in the world, we, we don't have access to everything, right? Except by um, globalization and how our food is farmed. Now you can get pineapples all over the country, right? right? Even though, um, but but there's, there's the idea that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't explore. And I think that's part of it too, to come back to you earlier in the conversations is if when you are making the circle or non-linear journey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> non-linear journey. That's I like that. that. Um, like story non- of my life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, whose is it? Right. right. Life is not linear. I do wish we could just like, I feel like we need to like put that on, that needs to go on the story. Um, Insta story. Like life, life is, not, is linear. not linear. Put it on a t-shirt. Right. As my husband would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not, nothing is. No journey is. Straightforward. But the, to the idea of like, there, there's more to explore in the plant-based diet, and I say diet using that very loosely, just the plant-based palate, there's more to explore than we often recognize because the first thing people ask is, well, what, what can you eat? You can't eat meat. Right. Well, what can you eat? Do you realize there are more fruits and vegetables than there are animals to kill? Is that Has that dawned on you? Like, sorry, sometimes I get rather... I get rather sure. activist about it because sure. it's like, are, do you, I understand plants are deli- I mean, animals are delicious. Yes, of course. That's why people eat them. But there's so much more in the plant kingdom. Sure. If we are willing to explore, not just in the kitchen, but like what we choose to buy and exploring 
recipes sure. and getting help, you know, from someone who is doing, has done that exploration and continues to do it. There's so many more options than we even imagine. And there's plenty of protein to get in that Absolutely. <laughs> kingdom Absolutely. also. And I think for a lot of people, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people fear the unknown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when there are so many fruits and vegetables out there that are unfamiliar to us, whether that is because it's regional or cultural or environmental, you know, learning about options and things that are out there and getting more information is really just going to, is what is going to open the door to more plant-based exploration. Yeah. I think the challenge for some people is cost, honestly. Yeah. Um, so my attitude is, I think we were talking earlier about, like, I'm, I'm willing to go somewhere and try something. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sure. But I, I know when I was growing up, um, we, we had some friends we would go out with, and they would always, I, I used to tease them. I, I won't say what I used to say, but <laughs> every single time they ordered chicken fingers and french fries. Mm. Every time, anywhere we went, if there was chicken fingers on the menu, that's what they would order. And I was like, Scream! Right. Rolling and I was like, my why, eyes. Why, yeah. why do you do that? And they're like, I mean, and we were around, you know, we were in our early 20s. So their perspective was, I don't have money to burn, and I know that that's going to taste the way I want it to it's taste. Familiar. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, but you're missing out on all these other things that are great. Um, and so I, I realized, though, that that can be a limitation, Absolutely. you know, is that you just don't have the bank to have a bad meal and go get something else instead, sure. you know, which is a shame. Shouldn't be that way. I feel like I get really frustrated with the cooking uh specifically new things because I'm not really sure how it's supposed to taste. I'm not sure what goes mm. with it. Um, and so it just in terms of that, if I go grocery shopping and I buy, you know, all of this produce that uh, I don't really know what to do with and then I get it home and then I like totally mess it up, then it's like, well, then now what do I do yeah. for the rest of the week uh, or however long I was supposed to have groceries for. And so I think that's a real thing for people is um, you want to explore, but Sometimes you're like, risk versus reward, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of what's at stake if you don't. Um, if I buy something that I don't know what it is and I don't know how to cook it and I mess that up, now I would have to try to figure out, you know, what am I going to eat for lunch tomorrow? Sure. And maybe maybe my plan was to cook lunch and take it to work, and now I've messed that up. So now how do I get lunch? Because the way, you know, I work... Um, I don't necessarily get a specific lunch hour. It's kind of like I have to find that time. And if I knew I didn't have time and to go I, out and get something. to go get something and I was supposed to prepare something to have and now I don't have that thing, like how does that set off my whole day or week? Um, so those are all things I think that factor into how people um, experiment with different types of foods and um Different flavors. So that's one thing that I always, you know, wish that I had was somebody like you, right, who could say this thing goes with this thing and this is what's in season and this is how you could prepare that thing and ways to kind of cook it and outline it. Because um, it is kind of scary and dicey. Can like, be intimidating. Oh, I this up. I don't know. So <laughs> some advice that I would give to someone who basically is in the situation that you just described, Lisa, would be to try... Of, this sounds so cliche, but baby steps. Mm -hmm. You know, trying maybe one element of a dish and transforming that into something that's plant-based. So for example, um, for someone who really likes, let's say, spaghetti and meatballs, the way that I would start to transform that dish would be to maybe start with the pasta and say, well, this week I'm going to buy a zucchini um, which at the farmer's market this summer, squashes in season, you could get a big fat zucchini for a dollar. Um, and turning that into zucchini noodles, uh, which can uh, be done with a something like a spiralizer or a vegetti, uh, that's another brand uh, that, that folks are using. You could find something like that at Marshall's, even your local grocery store is carrying them these days. Um, so taking one element of your spaghetti and meatballs and transitioning and transforming that into being plant-based. So still enjoying your meat sauce, your meatballs and your marinara, but then, you know, switching out your pasta for something that's plant-based. On the flip side, 
Someone who really enjoys pasta and really needs to get their pasta fixed could still, you know, cook their spaghetti, but instead of a meat sauce, try something like a mushroom-based bolognese, a mushroom meat sauce. And you could go to a store um, and get even the ugliest mushrooms that, you know, people have kind of picked over and don't really want anymore, chop them up real fine and saute that um, with onions and garlic mm. um, and use, uh, you know, any dried dried herbs that you have, like um, dried oregano or dried parsley that a lot of people have in their cupboards um, with your favorite jar of marinara and turning that into a plant-based bolognese that you can still enjoy over your, you know, high carbohydrate pasta. So there are options. Mm, I, like, I like that. I, I like that a mushrooms. lot. Yeah. No, yeah. I was just going to say I like that a lot. And it, um, it does seem... Easier to switch out one component over trying a plant-based bolognese. Exactly. You know, with just taking one, either making the noodles plant-based or make your regular meat sauce versus like the whole dish is something completely different. And you have no context, right, for like how the completely different dish is supposed to even taste. You have no context, but like if you just switch one, you're like, okay, well, this is good. Don't know if I like this. I can still... Maybe make some noodles if those exactly. zucchini ones don't really If there's something that's, <laughs> turn out, that's right? disappointing, mm-hmm. um, that didn't turn out the way that you want, part of your dish is still salvageable. Yes. So you don't feel like you're completely out of, you know, a 40 or $50 grocery bill. Yeah, I like that idea. Like that. Pro- pro- progress scary. over perfection. Exactly. Right? We talk about a lot. Figuring mm-hmm. out what you like. If you didn't like the zucchini noodles, let's try sweet potato noodles next time. Mm. Let's try butternut squash noodles. The options... The options are are almost limitless. Really, yeah. they are. I like that. Yeah, no, I would need you as my Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> no way I'm Which going up that mountain on my point. own. <laughs> so, so let's say that there's lots of Aprils out there sure. <laughs> who need your expertise in-house, not just over the airwaves. Absolutely. How do people get in t- contact with you? Sure. So the best way to reach me um, would be... Uh, either through email or phone, uh, which we'll provide those contact details uh, through the podcast later. Um, and then, you know, what we would do first is, is is schedule a consultation. Let's get together and talk about why you're interested in hiring a personal chef. It could be time. It could be um, health. It could be the cost, uh, you know, that you're you're experiencing from eating out in the DC bars and restaurants every night, which can get expensive after a cocktail or two and an appetizer and dessert and entree. Um, <laughs> and tip, and tip. I, I'm, I sense I'm a that she tipper. speaks from experience on this matter. Just a hunch. My palate has a lot of different, you know, parts that like to be satisfied. So we, we got to keep them happy. No judgment. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we we would schedule a consultation. We'd get together. We would talk about allergies that you have, your dietary preferences. If you wanted to, uh, for example, stay away from dairy or, you know, incorporate more, more plant-based meals, we would talk about any health goals that you have, um, foods that you love, food that you, foods that you hate. Um, based on that, I would cultivate a menu proposal for you. Um, so, uh, once we agree upon a menu, I would do all of the grocery shopping. Um, like I explained earlier, come into your home, do all of the cooking, cleaning, and putting it, putting everything away. So if that anyone is interest, awesome. interested in a consultation, I'd be glad, uh, to schedule something. We can get together, talk about pricing and kind of what that looks like. Cool. Awesome. I'll drop that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Chef Lauren. Thank you so much. Glad to have you with us. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I I really enjoyed enjoyed myself. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us on social media at The Jealous Vegan on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or at thejealousvegan.com, and sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey. And until then... Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.